little um, review. Last week we talked about giving and God's provision. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. And some quotes that some people reminded me of afterwards that I really should have, uh, should have used. And I like this one. Give till it hurts. <laughs> or this one's even, even better. We heard this. We actually heard this. Dig deep. This is how we get you to get something in that box back there. Or maybe you've heard someplace say, you know, empty your pockets right now. Whatever you got in your pockets, just put it in there right now. Let's do that. <laughs> so, but I was just going to the beach and I got all this cash and I can't put it in there now. But, you know, that's not really what it's all about. And, and uh, as I said in, in 2 Corinthians 9, it says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. It's, it happens in the heart. And he said, Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a tearful giver. It isn't about something you're forced to do, or you're reluctantly, you know, separating you and your mammon. But Paul says that when we do give and our hearts are right, he says it's like a fragrant offering. It's an acceptable sacrifice and it's pleasing to God. And then he says that God will meet all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So it kind of flows out of that, you know, that, that as we give and we sow and, and God, you know, and I'm not talking about sowing seed faith. You know, I've heard that kind of thing, too. Well, we're just let's sow some seed faith here and then, you know, something good's going to happen. But the truth is that if we sow, we'll read that again. If we sow, we reap what we sow. If you sow, you know, generously, God blesses you generously. But you don't do it to get that. That's kind of a, a bad uh, way to look at it. But God will take care of us. So... We're at the last uh, paragraph here in uh, cha uh, chapter 4 of Philippians, and we have communion this morning as well, and we're going to have a time of prayer. And, uh, but, but this is uh, the, the last greetings of the uh, chapter of the book, and uh, <clears throat> I was thinking about greeting, greeting cards. How many of you ever send greeting cards? Some of you do, and how many of you would like to, but you never do? <laughs> you thought about it? But my wife's raising her hand, too. You see that? It's just like a lost art. You know, in, in, the day, uh, in the days of email and text messages, you know, how many of us actually sit down, get a piece of paper out, and write a letter to someone now? It's like rare. But this is what this is, what this is here. These were letters that were written. And in many cases, Paul had somebody, you know, he was like dictating to somebody who would write the words down. And, and, uh, but he, he, he finishes here with these greetings because he cared about the people. And really, that's what it is about the people. If you take the time to sit and write a letter to somebody, it's because you care about them as a person. If you send them a little text message, um, I could do that on my watch. No. If you send them a little text message with your phone, it's like, oh, Yeah. I, you know, they care about me, sort of. They sent me a text message, you know. Not that text messages are bad or anything. They're just part of, you know, our society, what we have and what we can use and stuff. But if you sit down and write a letter to somebody, you, they're going to know. They're going to care. They're going to know that you care. And that's what Paul did. And, and, and we now, you know, so many years later, we're glad that, that this got written down and that, 
that we can look at it and read it. Now, of course, we know that you wouldn't um, kind of do what we do. You know, you take just a few words or a paragraph or a few sentences and you'd read that and then you'd put it away and you'd come back and read a little bit more and you'd put it away. We kind of do that because we're, we're studying it, but if you got a letter like this, what would you do? You'd just read the whole thing right through, right? And if you liked it, you'd go back and read it again. You know, if you got a letter from some girl or some guy and they wrote some mushy stuff in there, you know, you're going to go back and you're going to read that thing again, right? Especially those parts. And you're going to, you might even, like, highlight them. Oh, he said this to me. <gasps> you know. <laughs> See, and that's kind of what we're doing. We're, we're going back and we're looking at the different parts and the stuff that are, that's really, really cool, really, really important. We're going to look at some of those today. But, but let's just look at um, this greeting, this final greeting here in verse 21. He said, Tychicus, the dear brother... I'm in the wrong thing. My pages are blown around here. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. I, you know, we talked about this before, but I, I still think that there's confusion about this word saints. Don't you? How many of you are saints? Oh, maybe there's no confusion at all. Because in, in, some, in some quarters, you, you know, to be a saint, first of all, you have to be dead for five years. Unless you get a special dispensation, like somebody did recently. Not only that, you have to have lived an exemplary life. And then, this is the part I don't quite understand, you have to do at least two miracles after you die. I don't quite get that. Yeah, you read it posthumously. So, um, so for us, I, I don't think many of us would make the sainthood thing. But what does the Bible say about it? Is that it's a person who is in Christ Jesus. That's what, it, that's what he says here. The saints in Christ Jesus. That's what makes us a saint. Uh, I remember in, a, in Bible school, there was a guy who would sign his, the end of his letters and whatever. He'd sign it, St. Joe. Because he kind of knew, and, and you know, if we sign something like that, we think we're being a little presumptuous or whatever, but I think it's for us to know that we are in Christ Jesus, and there's something about that, that we've been set apart, we've been made uh, one of his own. We belong to him. And it's based on what Jesus did. He not only died, but he rose from the dead. He did miracles after miracles. He did it all. See, it's based on what he did, not on what I do. That doesn't make me a saint. I'll never get there. So, he says, greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. Now, we did this once, but I want you to greet another saint right now, somebody you didn't greet a few minutes ago. Can you do that? Greet, greet some saints around you right now that you did not greet before, okay? All the saints send you greeting, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The gospel got right into the Caesar's house. There was nothing he could do to stop it. And part of that came about, as we saw earlier in the letter of Philippians, through Paul's suffering and the fact that he was in prison, that he had, that he had these guards uh, chained to him night and day. And God used it to reach them.
Now, before we read the very last verse, I want to go back and review some of the awesome verses that are in this letter. Again, as I said, you go back and you see certain parts you like and that's, that maybe have stuck out to you. And this, this book is one of my favorite books, and I think it has uh, so many verses that are, that are so uh, important to us. But let's go back in chapter 1 and work our way through. There's about 10 or so. We're just going to read them, say a few words about them. And I want you to, to be able to know, as you think about these verses, I know, I know just where those are there in the book of Philippians. And there's only four chapters, so I should be able to find it pretty quickly if I need to, right? The first one is chapter 1, verse 6, and this is really the key verse, I believe, of this book. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, that's what makes you a saint. It's that God's doing a good work inside of you, and He's, he's working from the inside out, and He's going to carry it on to completion. How many times do you get frustrated or, or discouraged, and you don't think you're ever going to make it? Well, you got to remember who's doing the work. Yeah, we have to cooperate. There's no question about that, but, but God is the one doing the good work. And it is a good work, and he is going to bring it to completion. He's going to get us to the finish line. God is good. How about verse 21? Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. You remember this one? For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. You all know that verse. You've heard it so many times. But I think it's still, even as I look back on this verse and, and when we talked about it weeks and weeks ago, to live is Christ. We, we're, we're pretty tapped into what it means to die is gain. That it's going to be so much better when we go and be in His presence. But, but the first part of it still is a challenge. To live is Christ? Is my life Christ? Is living in this body, in this life, Jesus Christ? Jesus is our life? You see what I'm getting at? That question. Are we so surrendered to him that it's just about Jesus? Give me Jesus. And to die is gain, and I look forward to that too, but, but he wants us to have life and have it abundantly even here and now in these bodies, in this day and in this age. How about chapter 2, verses 5 and following? He says, your attitude Remember we talked about attitudes? He said, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What an incredible passage about who Jesus Christ is, that he was God, Emmanuel, God with us, right? That he came to earth, he took the nature of a servant. And, and some of these 
these attitudes, like he says, there should be, we should be following his example, becoming servants. But he, Jesus, says he became obedient unto death, even death on the cross, and he has the name above every name. We think about that. We know where that is. We, we know those verses that, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess at one point in time, at some point in time. But how much better is it that we do it now? We don't wait until after we die. It's too late then. We, we will be doing it because we will, be have to, we will have to do it. But we do it now willingly. We surrender our, our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ now of our own free will, our own volition. How about chapter 2? There's chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 12. Let's see, where am I? Chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Not work for your salvation, but work out your salvation. Something that God has given to us and put inside of us, we need to work it out. We need to get it out. And, and, but notice it here again. You can take verses out of con, context, and you can say work out your salvation, uh, you know, and, and thinking that, that it's something that we have earned and, and, and we've come up with it ourselves. But look what it says there in verse 13. It's, it's who? It's God who works in you. Like chapter 1, verse 6. God works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. I like that part. I remember uh, he, he works in us on what we want and He works in us about what we do. God is at work in us. He's at work in you if you've surrendered your life to Him. How about chapter 3? Let's move into chapter 3 now, verses 8 and 9. What is more, Paul said, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, knowing him. He says there's nothing like it. There's nothing this world has to offer. Everything else is a loss compared to knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord, to have a relationship. And, and really, that's, that's really what it's all about, isn't it? It's about having a relationship with Him. Do you know Him? Remember that? We played that clip with that guy preaching about, do you know Him? Do you know Him? Over and over. Do you know Him? That's really what it's all. Do you know Him? So I'll get, get started on that little loop. and I. It's about having a relationship with Him. And there's nothing greater in this life than to know Jesus. 
Say, well, I don't, it doesn't feel that way to me. Well, maybe, maybe you don't know him. Or maybe you do, and you, you've had, you know, in the past, a relationship with him that was vital, that was real, that was important. And things have kind of slipped, and things have kind of gotten put on the back. Well, God's still working in you if you belong to him, and he, he's still able to kind of refire within you that, that relationship. How about verse 12? Chapter 3, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This idea of pressing on. Not quitting. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. We've got to keep pressing. We've got to take hold. We've got to forget what's behind, not dwelling on or living in the past, but, but reaching out to what God has for us in the future and, and that, that race that he's given to us. You find that here in Philippians chapter 3. How about verse 20? We're almost done here. We have just a couple more, and we're going to take some time to pray. Verse 20, but our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship, our home, is in heaven. And we're waiting for the Savior. He's going to return, the Lord Jesus Christ. We look for His return expectantly we want him to come back for us this world is not our home we're just passing through yet to live is Christ to live is Christ to die is gain how about chapter 4 we're going through this really we could have went through this whole book in in one day if we wanted to again you would take a letter and you'd read it all at once. So you may go back over it, though. How about chapter 4, verse 4? This is a 44. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. This is Paul's letter. The book of Philippians is Paul's letter of joy. That's really what the theme is. It's joy. And I hope you remember this because I said it enough times, that J-O-Y spells what? Yeah. Somebody had it right. Jesus, others, and yourself last. And when we get that mixed up and we get the order all messed up and then we, we, we have trouble finding the joy that the Lord has for us. J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and yourself last. It's, it's all about rejoicing in the Lord and finding our joy in Him. It's not going to happen in circumstances. It's not going to happen in achievement. It's not going to happen from the things of this world. True joy comes from Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And we said it so many times uh, going through this book that God wants us to be joyful people. He wants us to rejoice. But we rejoice in the Lord, not in ourselves. How about verse 6? 
This struck a chord with a bunch of people, I think. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's, that's such an awesome verse, huh? When you're swallowed up by anxiety and worry and, and the battle is just like going insane, you, you, you need to open the book of Philippians. Turn to chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 and, and read what it says there. And God will encourage you through these verses to simply lay it on the, at His feet. Lay it before Him and, and pray. And, and God will give you His peace. Prayer which leads to his peace. How about verse 8? This is another incredible verse. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Good thinking. Good for us. Verse 12. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being, what? Content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul says he learned to be content. And we can be content too through Jesus Christ who gives us the strength to do that. Let's see, one more. Verse 18 and 19, what we covered last week. I have received full payment, even more. I'm amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. They were giving people, they were, the Philippians. Maybe that's part of the reasons why they had joy. They were giving church, they shared with others. But, but really, it all gets back to God anyways, that God is the one that, that will meet our needs. He's going to take care of us. He is so faithful, He will take care of us. And finally, verse 23, we end with this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He began the letter with grace and he ends the letter with grace and we sang about it today that his grace is enough. His grace is enough. No matter what. His undeserved favor. The fact that he just loves you. No matter what. No matter who you are. No matter what you've done. His grace is enough for you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's turn to uh, Numbers chapter 6. I'm going to read these verses before we have some prayer. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, chapter 6, and verse 24. Actually, let's start in verse 22 because it gives us some context. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 
So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. That's such a wonderful blessing, isn't it? 